listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, welcome everyone to uh, Easter Sunday. And this is the end of a long journey where we together as a church, as the people of God, have been fasting and preparing and walking this symbolic journey where we trace the footsteps of Jesus towards the cross and then today towards the empty tomb. And at the beginning of this series, uh, there was this theme which emerged. You'll notice that there are flowers surrounding us and they symbolize this theme, which is the theme of blooming. There's a real sense that we felt as a church that God was inviting us into this season where we actually bloomed as the people of God, where through living in his light, we bloomed as we were planted in this season. So when the pandemic came in the midst of this sense that we felt God was inviting us into this season of flourishing and blooming, Uh, It was a strange occurrence. It was a strange occurrence for the world as the entire world has adjusted to the reality of what has happened. We've spoken over the last few weeks how spiritually it's felt like a night has descended. Even though you walk out and see people walking in the streets, people walking their dogs, often the footpaths and the pavements now are abuzz with activity while our roads are quieter. This sense of uncertainty of a spiritual darkness has come and almost this sense that as the virus began, the reports that we saw of it starting in China and then seeing images and then the reports as it went to this country and that country, we had this sense of something growing that was ominous. So it's almost like this sense of blooming, which is this growing of good things, began to be challenged by this growing of something insidious and evil. Yesterday, uh, one of the weird things about this uh, moment is that as we're all live streaming, I can visit my friends' churches without actually having to get on a plane and see them. And I was watching the service at uh, my friends, a number of friends church, uh, uh, HTB in London, Holy Trinity, Brompton. And Nikki Gumbel, who is the senior vicar there, was interviewing the historian Tom Holland. Uh, not Spider-Man, I think that's the actor. My kids were excited. It was the wrong Tom Holland, or I thought it was the right Tom Holland, as I've read a number of his books. And it was interesting. Tom Holland was someone who grew up without faith, but has been on this journey of exploration around Christianity. And he shared with Nikki Gumbel in this video interview in their Good Friday service, this transformative moment for him when he was asked to do a documentary as a historian for the BBC on the Islamic State and travel to Sinjar, where many Yazidi people were executed by crucifixion by the Islamic State, Daesh. And for him, being in an actual environment where people had literally been crucified, the true horror of this form of execution became very real to him in a way which he'd never really comprehended just reading about it in books. And this idea that God himself would be crucified and killed in such a way, which is more than just a torturous death, but actually is this horrifying power show where someone oppresses someone, kills them in this very public and humiliating and shameful way, began to change how he saw the whole Christian story. 
And just a little quote from that interview that he said, speaking of Good Friday, but also this points to Easter Sunday, he said, the darkness of Good Friday is darker because of the light that is to come, just as the light of Easter Sunday is all the more radiant because of the darkness that has preceded it. Now, often when we do Easter Sunday services, we talk about this in a spiritual sense. But there's a very real reality around us of this COVID-19 pandemic where there is a darkness that is surrounding this Easter. But as Tom Holland says here, this just makes the light all the more brighter. The heaviness of the night means that Jesus' light stands out with more clarity and power. So let's dive into this story now. And let's walk these final steps of our Lenten journey today. We're going to be reading from Mark, the Gospel of Mark, verses 31, sorry, chapter 8, verses 31 to 33. If you have your Bibles with you, if you don't, they'll appear on the screen. He, that's Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days to rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter, who was one of his key disciples, took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is one of those passages that happens just before Jesus is heading to his death. And Peter, who is one of the disciples that is at the forefront of almost representing the disciples, is someone we often identify with. Peter is flailing sometimes, he flounders, he makes mistakes. Thus, I think he's a naturally identifiable person. Some of the things that he gets wrong is stuff that we would get wrong in that situation. And so we tend to identify with Peter, and then when we get to this passage, it feels like this really heavy call from Jesus for Jesus to actually use the name Satan to address his friend the person upon whom he said he would build his church. But what's really interesting is the whole passage is reframed when instead of looking at this through the perspective of Peter, we look at this passage through the perspective of Jesus. For Jesus is the ideal human to whom we are to look to understand and what it is to be a flourishing human. Jesus' life shows us what it is to say yes to God with the whole of one's life, to live as a flourishing human who yet continually says yes to God. And so when we look at this through Jesus' perspective, we see someone who is a mission before him given by God to defeat death on the cross, who's heading towards there, yet feeling all the emotions of a human being, the fear, the trepidation as he heads towards his fate on the cross. And we realize that this actual moment when we look at it through Peter's perspective, it seems like he's just getting it wrong. But from Jesus' perspective, this is a repeat of something that has happened before. 
We read of this happening before, the echoes of this happening before in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, which reads, the devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. He says to him, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus in verse 10 says to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus recognized Satan's voice at the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. And he recognizes it here through Peter's voice. It's the voice of a concern and perspective that doesn't come from God, but comes from the kingdom of the world. And the world here doesn't mean the earth, but rather all that is in the earth in us which resists God. The world is that which greets the invitation of God to flourish through him, to say yes to him. And it greets that yes from God with a no, choosing to have our own perspective. And even Peter, the rock upon which Jesus says the church will be built, stepping into his own human perspective here by saying no to God's way, wraps himself unknowingly in a satanic cloak. This is not the only time this story has been repeated in the Bible. It's a recurring theme throughout Scripture. The participants change, but humans meeting God in high places, garden settings, at moments of crisis and high drama, and humans fail the test, falling into a temptation and reject God's invitation, say no to his yes. And the result of this no to God leaves a trail of tears, injustice, destruction, and death. And these repeating scenes of saying no to God's yes begin their journey in the Garden of Eden, where humans flourish with God in an Edenic paradise setting. They fail the test, they give in to temptation to look at things through their perspective, to say no to God's yes. And then they find themselves outside of the garden, always east of Eden, never home. And this is true of ourselves. We continually say no to God's yes, preferring to build our own kingdom of security, preferring to glory ourselves rather than God, to triumph just on our own merits, to put our perspective before God's, to judge him from our faulty position. We continually find ourselves saying no to that which makes us flourish, confounding ourselves with poor choices. We continually are amazed at our ability to undermine others, to pull the rug out from ourselves, to say no to the most fruitful yeses that come before us. And these no's create a spiritual night in the world that comes from humans operating in their own strength, viewing reality through their own reality, which fails and falls. This is why Jesus says to the disciples in Matthew 26, verse 31, this very night you will fall away on account of me. But here we see the work of Jesus in clear perspective. Humanity has said no to God. But Jesus comes and Jesus lives a life of yeses to God. In the garden before the night of his death, Jesus, fully God but also fully human, weeps, sorrowful to the point of death, struggles with what is before him, yet walks forward with obedience, saying in Mark 14, verse 36, not what I will, 
but what you will will, God. In the darkest of night, in the deepest of pain, in the most deathly of valleys, Jesus in human form says yes to God. Why? Because we can't. When we left the garden, when we left God's presence, when we left his flourishing, there's no way we can get back under our own strength. And Jesus saying yes in the garden tears down, but it also builds up. It tears down the reign of sin. It dismantles evil. On the cross, Jesus, sinless, dies for our sin, is crucified for our no to God. Because we wish to glory ourselves, to place ourselves above God, Jesus is crowned and gloried upon the most humiliating of tortured devices that Tom Holland encountered in Sinja. Someone is placed, their body decomposing over days as a kind of billboard of humiliation and death. And so in Mark 15, verses 33 to 34, it reads, At noon, darkness came over the whole land, a night, until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabathanchi, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Upon the cross, Jesus takes the no that humanity deserves for rejecting God. He experiences the full horror, not just of an agonizing humility and shameful death, but of spiritual exclusion from the Father's presence. He is cut off from God so that you and I don't have to be. And we see that this is God's move into history. Humanity has said no to God. And so Jesus comes to earth to show us how to live a life of yes to God. And on the cross, that night before in the garden, he says yes to God, to walk in God's way. And on the cross, he then experiences the no of God, which we deserved, but which we don't have to take upon us because God in Jesus, has taken that upon the cross. And so therefore, Easter Sunday, we have to walk through the cross to get to the yes on the other side, the yes that comes from the empty tomb. And that's what this day is about, stepping into God's yes for us. Jesus' death opens the way back to flourishing, back to the garden, back to a yes to God, to life in the spirit, back to flourishing, to blooming, to being fruitful. Blooming is the process where a plant flowers in this most beautiful of of creations and seeds the world with potential and new life and blessing and wonder. And so all of those images hover around the Easter Sunday story as Jesus, like a seed, is planted in the ground. Quiet. Easter Saturday is a time of silence where nothing happens. Traditionally, in many churches, the church is empty of decorations. The altar is bare. Nothing happens because that seed is in the ground. But on Easter Sunday, that seed then bursts out of the ground in a new flourishing. Let's read from Luke's Gospel, verses, uh, chapter 24. 
Verse, begin at one. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In the fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his word. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and others who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. Why didn't they believe the women? Because they're still operating from the previous era. But something has changed in the world. The women are the first witnesses to this birth out of the ground. Peter, verse 12, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he sees the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What had happened was that God had said yes to Peter, despite Peter saying no to Jesus. Jesus, Peter saying no when Jesus called him the Satan. Peter saying no when, during the trial, Peter betrays Jesus to witnesses. And Jesus had defeated sin, our great no to God, and he's risen from the tomb. Jesus had said yes to us and this changes everything. When the disciples see the risen Jesus upon the beach, Peter plunges into the water to run towards Jesus. He who was called Satan by Jesus is told by the risen Jesus to feed his sheep. Instead of running away now, as he did when he denied Jesus, he now runs towards him. And Jesus has an invitation for him. Feed my sheep. He's given Peter the yes. Now Peter must give the yes to others so that we may flourish, live according to God's will, be light in a dark world. So at this moment, when a darkness seemingly has descended, when we're celebrating on a day when many people in the world are trembling and afraid, unsure of the future, feeling fragile medically, feeling worried economically, concerned about job security, concerned about being socially isolated. In the midst of this, this is the kind of moment that the resurrection and the cross speaks a language that can only be understood by those who say yes to God. So three things I just wanted to just leave with you. How do we bloom in a time like this? What does the resurrection tell us? The first one is this. This heavenly yes is a seed from God out of which flourishing and blooming flows. Today celebrates Resurrection Sunday. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. This is God's great yes to you. It's a seed and it's built for flourishing and blooming and fruitfulness. The second point 
is the invitation to receive this yes from God. He loves you. That's what this day means. Even when you said no to him, even when we rejected him, even when we chose our perspective, our failings, our fallings, he still loves us. He is for you. He wants nothing more than to be in relationship with you. Say yes to God's invitation to be his beloved and come away with him, to bloom in his love. And lastly, what do we do in a moment like this where we can't do everything that we usually do? Many of us can't work like we used to. Many of us can't see our friends, even just driving into the city and walking around, going to a restaurant. These things that we can't do at this point in time. But there's something that we can do at this time. And in the moment of this night, I believe there's an invitation to plant this seed, plant this yes from God in your homes, in your lives, in the hours that you spend trying to work out now. How do you arrange your time into your busyness, trying to homeschool your kids while doing your work, maybe into moments of isolation and boredom and loneliness, into your fears, into your worries. Plant God's yes in this pandemic and believe that God wants to resurrect. God wants this to be a moment of flourishing and blooming, to be light even when it appears dark. I'm going to pray now. Holy Spirit, come. I pray that as people sit, stand, watch, maybe in households, maybe alone, fill these people with your Holy Spirit right now. Fill them with a sense that even though we've run from you, God, you run to us like the father father running down the path to the prodigal son. Fill us with a sense that we are your beloved. Fill us with the empowerment of your spirit, which says in moments of death that we can live your life. That at moments of darkness, we can be your light in the world. And if you want to with me, just in your heart or even out loud, let's say sorry to God for saying no to him. And let's choose at this moment whether you've never done this before or doing it again to say yes. On this day, I say yes to you, Jesus. We say yes to your blooming, to the life of flourishing which you put before us. We say yes to the seeds that you want to plant at this moment as we stop, as we retreat into our homes, plant seeds in our lives, in our relationships, in our trust. Turn fear into faith. Worry into courage. Loneliness into communion with you. Holy Spirit, 
fill us at this moment.